My girlfriend Hoagie and I were going into a drugstore one day to buy makeup. Uh, this is the girl that had taught me how to use all this uh, pancake makeup and mascara and stuff. Anyway, we were going in to buy some makeup. And we walked into this drugstore and didn't even get a chance to shut the door. And four American sailors walked in behind us. And we went over to the cosmetics. And, and there was very little selection. Ponds was what we used mostly for lipstick. And, and we were not allowed to use Revlon nail polish for some reason. Somebody had got a nail infection from Revlon nail polish and we were told never to use Revlon. So that we were using, I think, Q-Tex or whatever we could afford, cheap stuff anyway. And any, if any of us got good makeup or perfume, it was a present from home. Anyway, these four guys came up behind us and they said, um, are you girls uh, on your way to work? And we said, no. We're not. Uh, when do you have to be at work? And uh, Hoagie had to be at work the next morning at 8 o'clock, and I didn't think I had to be at work until 5 the next day or something. And I said, they said, what are you doing tonight? And I, we said, oh, we're probably going to a dance. I mean, there were all kinds of dances. Church halls used to have dances. You know, they have a record player, and they'd have people who would volunteer from the church to have a dance so that service people who would have a place to go and they'd have sandwiches and coffee to feed you and it was the people were really good to to you um anyway they said well we're uh we've just come in to port and um our chief petty officer cpo has told us that he's found a place that we can have a party tonight. And I said, oh, where is that? And he said, it's in the basement of such and such a church. And we had been to a party dance there once, so I knew where it was. And it was in a decent part of town, you know. And uh, I said, how did he find that out? And he said, we don't ask. He just told us that if we wanted to go out and find ourselves some girls to dance with, that he'd make sure that you got home safe. And uh, he said, uh, and he, uh, and we all chipped in and we're going to have beer and a record player. And we've got a, a, a colored guy on the ship who can really play piano. And um, we wondered if you'd want to come. Oh, I looked at Hogan, no question, sure, this is a real adventure. Could we find any other girls? <laughs> we said, well, um, we'll try. Uh, what, what do you want us to do, to just show up at the church? Yeah, if you just want to show up at the church around 7 o'clock or something. And uh, so we said, sure, that's fine. And we'd bring as many girls as we could find. And so we went to the YW and asked around if there's anybody. And I can't remember. We got a few girls, but they weren't easy to come by. You know, I mean, they were working or they weren't there. Or We stopped some girls on the street. Certainly never wrens, because wrens and air women didn't speak to each other in Halifax. The wrens were... Um, 
consider themselves to be far above any other service women. And uh, I, it wasn't true because they were just an auxiliary force, whereas air women actually were part of the Air Force. And uh, there were very few uh, quacks around because there weren't very many army people. They were mostly in Goddard Hospital and uh, they had a small barracks. So we very seldom saw quacks, but lots of wrens. And, uh, but they pretty well stuck around home. Anyway, um, whatever girls we found who showed up anyway, we got there and, and it wasn't, there weren't that many fellows from the ship. I can't remember what kind of a ship it was, but when they told me the name of it, I knew what it was. They had come up from, from, oh, down South America. They had been accompanying an oil tanker. And something, for some reason, they hadn't gone into Boston. They had come into Halifax. Maybe we were desperate for oil or something, but we didn't usually see that many American Navy. Anyway, we went to the church and went downstairs, and sure enough, there's their usual big wash tub full of ice with beer and um, really good records. And uh, that was the time of Tommy Dorsey and Krupa and all the really good jive records. And some of these guys could really dance, especially the, the black guy who could play the piano. Could he ever jitterbug? I was so tired when we finished that night. I could hardly walk. And the chief petty officer really behaved himself. He didn't drink. He made sure that there was no rowdiness or anything. And, you know, we yacked and... I don't know, we just had a really good time for a couple of hours. And then he phoned taxis to take us home. We got back to the barracks. I got out of the barracks. Oh, and we had taken our jackets off because it was hot. And, uh, and it was a lot easier to dance without your jacket all buttoned up and everything. And we had nice blue shirts on underneath anyway. Got to the Gorsebrook. And we're getting out of the taxi, and I go to make sure my buttons are done up properly on my jacket, and I don't have my belt. And it's right on the time of when I had to be in. I mean, we were just making it. And <laughs> I knew the fellow on the, um, on the gate, his name was Buck. His wife, he and his wife were both service police in Halifax, and um, I said, Buck, I'm in real trouble. I've left my belt at this party, and I've got to go back and get it. I mean, I don't have another one. You know, the, I, I mean, I need it. I'll never get back into that church, and I don't know what'll happen to it. And he said, go ahead. So the, I climbed back, and one of the girls came with me. And we went all the way back, and they paid for that taxi all the way back, and all the way, and there was my belt laying across the top of the piano. But you know, funny things happened like that, and 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 from being such a a wartime city, and so everything was war, war, war. You know, uh, 
You hardly ever saw any, you wondered if any civilian business went on except in Eaton's. But we had good times, you know, really good times. And it was fun. Most of it was fun. I mean, those are the things I remember, or the fun things. And uh, I guess it's a good thing to do that. When I enlisted, I was registered as a Roman Catholic, and that was on my dog tag, RC. So I felt obliged that I should go to Mass, and I was used to going to Mass when I was in Winnipeg. So about once a month, which would be when I would be getting off work at 8 o'clock, and I would have worked since 12, and I would be really tired, but I would go over to the 9 o'clock Mass at the cathedral. It was right behind the building where I worked, and it was a beautiful old building and it still showed a lot of scars from the explosion from the first war and they had never fixed those either but uh, and there were a lot of people in church and a lot of service people there was mass on the station usually but it wasn't the same you know it was just like in a bare room so you would do that but in the evening if Clarkie was off and she was on the same shift as I was so usually we would go to the United Church, where she got to be quite friendly with the minister and his wife, and sometimes we would go back to the minister's house after. But they always would have like a short evening service at the United Church, and I didn't feel the least bit traitorous about it at all. I mean, after all, I had been to Mass in the morning. <laughs> and uh, then they'd have a mix, a mixer, they called it. And they'd have the people who were at the service, and all the service people would go downstairs, and we'd be fed. And uh, really nice sandwiches and dainties. And the, the civilian people were very good about making sure we had lots of good stuff to eat. I think they thought we were being starved. They'd heard these stories about hardtack at Wide Apple and so on. But there was always. Um, excitement when you came on shift if somebody you know you came in you could feel it in the room when you walked and that something really big was going on either a ship had been sunk in a convoy or uh or that an airplane was down the saddest thing i knew about ever and i just couldn't forget it and it happened on a christmas eve an aircraft from newfoundland had had engine trouble and had come down on a huge ice floe between uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, he was far enough out from land that he couldn't make it to land and he SOS'd in. So they sent an aircraft out right away from Gander to have a look and see what was happening. and. Uh, he couldn't get off and the aircraft from Gander radioed permission to the wing commander on duty. He said, it's a huge ice floe. I can land on it and pick them up. And there was a lot of discussion at, while he circled these guys that were on the plane, in the plane on the ground on this ice floe. And we were all just, you know, kind of frantic about it. It was getting close to Christmas morning. It was during Christmas Eve. And uh, 
Finally, the wing commander denied permission to return to base and left those men on the ice floe. And there wasn't a dry eye in the room. Even Flight, even Flight Lieutenant Wild was really upset. I mean, he walked out and he was gone. He went up and talked to the wing commander and he tried to talk the wing commander into If he thinks he can do it, let him, you know. He said, I can't afford to lose another crew. I mean, it is ridiculous to try to land on an ice floe, you know. Well, he's there and he can see it. Well, I can't do it. I just can't risk another. Those are another five or six men with families and can't do it. So that when Mr. Wilde came back and we were off shift at eight o'clock in the morning, he said, um, everybody's coming over to my place for Christmas breakfast. And I guess he had been in to talk to his wife and we all walked to his, he had a house and we went to his house and he poured us all a great big glass of booze. Oh, I think we needed it so badly and she cooked us a great big breakfast of scrambled eggs and everything and then we all walked back to barracks. But we were stoned. I mean, we were kids and we weren't used to drinking like that and I remember staggering along the sidewalk and thinking, isn't it a good thing there's nobody outside watching us trying to walk back to barracks. We didn't have far to walk um, and when we got there about time for the Christmas dinner, which was, I think, around two o'clock in the afternoon when the officers looked after us. And they must have known something had happened somewhere because all these girls from ops sitting together were tight. <laughs> and where would they get it at that time, you know? Anyway, that was, one of the saddest stories. And the other one was we had a, a, a sinking of a Canadian escort ship. And it was a Navy, Royal Canadian Navy ship. And I, it was the first one that I had been on shift when it happened. And it really upset me terribly because I knew men on that ship. I knew two men on that ship. One sister slept in the same barracks as I did in my room and her brother was on that ship and he was engaged to another girl who lived upstairs in, and I couldn't tell him. And I just felt sick. I couldn't sleep, you know. I just, eventually, of course, they found out you know, because the parents were notified and then the parents told them. But I'm, I felt, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I didn't want to tell them, of course, I couldn't tell them. But I thought, and they were talking gaily away about this. And, uh, I, and I had met this fellow and I had met a friend of his too. And they were just young kids. I mean, boys went into the Navy at 17 and a half. And you know, when you think of them, they didn't live very long in that water in the winter. I mean, you only you dropped into the water or jumped or whatever off the ship 
and I don't think you lived more than maybe 10 minutes or, and you were gone. It was an awful thing. It was an awful thing. And there were other, lots of other sinkings and things, but nothing that I was so personally involved in. And that really hurt. But anyway, the work was very intensive and very hard on you. And, but, so we played really, really hard. And I had three shifts. One shift of mine was from eight to five. And then I had two days off. And then I had went to work from five to 12. And I had three days off. And then I went 12 to eight and I had four days off. So almost, there had to be something like a blizzard or something major. Um, when I wasn't working the five to 12 shift, I was out dancing. And dancing was a big thing. I mean, the Knights of Columbus Hall had a dance and uh, there was one that we used to take a ferry across to Dartmouth to go dancing there. All the service clubs had um, big halls and they'd have an orchestra and you'd go and stand around and dance. You didn't stand around very much if you were a girl. <laughs> but, but it got to the point where sometimes if you, a, a fellow would see you dancing and he knew that you were really good and they always had jitterbug contests one every night at least, sometimes three if it was a big dance. Uh, if it was in the Forum, which was as big, was where, where they played hockey and everything, um, and where the name band orchestras from the States, like Gene Krupa and those people came, they came to the Forum. Uh, well, then they'd have three or four contests, and uh, there'd be, wow, uh, a lot of people out jitterbugging and they'd go around and, and move you off the floor if you weren't good enough and you were always afraid that you were going to get tapped like off, you know. But um, uh, there were several fellows that I knew just by their first names. I didn't know their last names or hardly ever where they were from. But they had seen me dancing and they'd come up to me as soon as I came in and would say, will you dance with me at the contest? And I'd say, well, if I, if I didn't think that he was very good, I'd say, well, can we wait for a while? And he knew I was waiting for a better offer, but there were two or three fellows that I danced with a lot and they were really, really good. And it wasn't that I was so good, but they were taller than I was and stronger and they could throw me around pretty good. <laughs> and. And the prizes were usually $2 or a carton of cigarettes. Well, a carton of cigarettes was not very worth very much. It was, I think, six packages of cigarettes. And cigarettes were the guys in the Navy were buying them, the American Navy were buying them for a nickel a pack. So, but anyway, I didn't very seldom bought cigarettes. I hardly ever remember going into a store and buying cigarettes. And uh, and anyway, the Navy fellows would give them to you. They always had them tucked in their half Wellington boots. <laughs> you know, and they'd ask if you wanted to smoke, and if you wanted to smoke, 
what do you want a package? And they'd give it to you, you know, it was fine. And uh, it was a wonderful time to be a girl. <laughs>